This episode of the Coin World Podcast is sponsored by Amos Advantage. Looking to see your collection in greater detail? Check out the wide selection of Carson magnifying products and microscopes available at amosadvantage.com. Count on Carson to bring you truly innovative, high-quality optics at extraordinary value. And count on Amos Advantage for all your coin collecting supply needs. Visit amosadvantage.com to explore our inventory. Would you like to sponsor the Coin World Podcast? If so, contact your Coin World sales representative or email Brian Hertel at B-H-E-R-T-E-L at AmosMedia.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Affordable rates and multi-episode discounts are available. Contact us today to sponsor the Coin World Podcast. We are back for another episode of the Coin World Podcast. I'm Jeff Stark. And I'm Larry Jewett. And I got to say, you know, Larry and I have both had very busy numismatic times lately. We're going to talk about that today and just give our thoughts and observations on uh, what we're doing to enjoy the hobby. And maybe you can take that as inspiration, ways you can enjoy the hobby that don't involve tracking down multi-million dollar coins or other things, you know, furiously bidding at auction. There's so many ways to be involved in the hobby. And I think we've had some fun lately. And I, I think hopefully you'll you'll find some inspiration with that as well. And we'd like that just basically continues the reason why we do this podcast, and that's to give you the opportunity to get the absolute most that you can out of your hobby and out of your journey, no matter where you may be going with this. It's absolutely uh, imperative that you listen to us each and every time we come on here because we may actually have something that could help you out. So make sure that you uh, subscribe to the podcast on any of our uh, options that are available to you out there. And, uh, you know, our sponsors are lining up right now. We're just having to decide which sponsor is going to be worthy enough to get themselves in a position to associate themselves with what we've got to say for what's going on here in the hobby and to be able to tell you, the listener, about what's important in their world as well. So I am in St. Louis now. So, you know, if, if anybody has a connection with uh, Jenny's Ice Cream or Clementine's Naughty and Nice or te- even Ted Drew's, you know, I would be more than happy to accept a gift card to mention <laughs> their name. But they are not our sponsors. Our sponsor is right now is Amos Advantage. I got to say, for all your coin collecting supply needs, even stamps too, if you do those, if you're a one of those filthy philatelists, I just like that because of the way it sounds. But anyway, no, check out AmosAdvantage.com. We thank them for all this. That is where I will get my coin supplies, and that's where you should as well. So, Larry, tell me about what's going on in Florida. I don't want to hear too much about the warm weather, though, because it's cold well, up Wait a minute. You're the one who went to the custard stand this weekend. I know, but, you know, hey, it's never too cold for custard. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, we won't get into the weather thing because I know it's impacted everybody, but uh, that's the nice thing about numismatic. It's a hobby that uh, you could be doing some ill things outside like it did in North Carolina, and you can still enjoy it. But I was sitting here listening to the radio last week, and a commercial came on the local radio station about a monthly antique market that they have in downtown. They have on the sidewalks of downtown. And it turned out it was going to be a nice day. And so I said to my wife, I said, let's go check this out because they talked about, well, we have vendors from all over and we have one guy who has coins. Well, you know, that right away hit the responsive cord. So I said, hey, there's a guy down downtown. Let's go check this out. And what we ended, the first booth we came to was a lady selling uh, porcelain goods. And we found something for my mother-in-law. And then the next thing I know, I'm talking to the lady about greyhounds because she owned greyhounds at one point. I own a greyhound and the wife moved up the street. And next thing I know, where, where, where do you store that and what do you need a bus for? Um, basically we have a garage that we used to have a camper in. No, it's the four-legged kind that we have. Okay. Uh, not the wheels. Yeah. The 35 mile per hour couch potatoes. So we are going along here talking about this with the lady from Buffalo and then the wife has moved on down there. And by the time I get to her, I said, Hey, I'm sorry. uh, I got into a discussion about greyhounds and she goes, that's great. But look, 
I've got this and I've got this and I found this and I found that. And, and she's showing me all the things that she has picked up that interests her. There was a set of uh, five coins that all depicted fish. There was a set of six coins that all depicted ships. And so she's going in and look at this, look at this. And she pulls up some French notes and she's talking about all these things. And I'm going, whoa, 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 just, you know, here, I'm, I'm looking for this and I'm looking for that. And I'm looking for the other thing. Well, two and a half hours later, as we're still standing at this table and looking at the different things, uh, I ended up making a couple of purchases. I ended up talking to the gentleman who, who conducts it. He himself is not a numismatist. He understands the interest. He is interested to the point, I mean, the point where he is not a numismatist in the sense that he doesn't collect coins. He gets them as inventory, but he doesn't maintain anything. He gets a red book each year. He is interested in the hobby. He's interested in the people who are involved in the hobby, the conversations that he has. He's interested in introducing people to how unique coins can be. He talks about how at his day job, he recently uh, introduced a young lady to some of the older notes and uh, what they looked like when they were different sizes. And she then in turn found a wheat scent in change and got all excited about that. Didn't understand what it was, but, and we're talking and we're looking at different items there and he had an absolute total variety. And I see my, my American Samoa W quarter in there. It's like, eh, yeah, okay. I got one of those. And, you know, but he has all kinds of different, I ended up buying a bag of, it just said world coins. And there were 100 world coins in a bag. Well, I mean, I collect for a particular year. And uh, thanks to Jeff's connections and a few other things, I'm doing fairly well on that. And out of that 100 coins, only one coin was from that year. But I spent the entire afternoon just looking at them, looking at the designs, looking at the different denominations and thinking about the different things that, that go with it. And I mean, I dreamed about the cases that this guy had Saturday night. And it's just like, I can't wait till next month because we're going to be uh, going down to see what he's got new and what he, he's all had. So, you know, bottom line, it was just an exciting feeling. I've been to a couple of coin shows in the area. I've been to a couple of coin shops in the area, but this was just a totally different understanding. And the thing I've got to really point out this, I know, Jeff, we've heard a couple of stories about how you've gone to a flea market and picked up some things. We're driving past the flea market on Sunday afternoon, and the wife says, do you think they have coins in there? And I'm going, I'll bet they do. Well, we unfortunately didn't have time to turn in, but we now have another item on the to-do list, besides the fact they offer camel rides, so I'm going to check that out too. But, you know, just the idea that these treasures can be found in lots of places other than conventional places, and for me to have that, that made my weekend. Is the uh, flea market, do they offer the camel rides only on the weekend or they do they also do it on hump day? Oh, well, the flea market's only open on the weekends and I knew I set myself up for that one. But uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it was right there. Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, I think back to one of the first stories that I did in Coin World had to do with the camels in Australia on one of your stories. So it's just the, the, the fitting Oh thing yeah, the there. camel ears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, right. yes, yeah. exactly. So it's just like, okay, that's fitting. But now... I mean, even if I use the camel rides as an excuse to go to this flea market, and its I don't mean to say flea market in a, in a way of disdain, because certainly there are a lot of things that can be found there. And it's just the idea of opening up yourself to the possibility just by you know making it known. I mean, I've pulled out the, the 1921 Morgan dollar that I bought on a couple of different occasions where it's just like, hey, that's really cool. Tell me about that. And you tell them about it. And they seem interested in it because it's not something you see every day. And just the idea of just understanding that by just being active in this, whether you're you know active to the point where you have the intent or whether you just happen to stumble upon something, just leaving your radar open at all times just makes it such a neat feeling. It's a feel-good thing. It's, it's an absolute feel-good thing to me. And I realize that I'm preaching to the choir in a lot of ways because a lot of people have already been through that and already know to go to flea markets and already know to maybe go to estate sales or whatever the case may be. But it's just all about, I had so much fun with that that I haven't even checked my Powerball ticket yet. Oh, man. I, you know, flea markets have been home to some of the, the best 
finds for me. You know, I found a uh, token in the shape of the head of a horse. Usually tokens are, you know, pretty nondescript, round, whatever, but this was in the shape of a horse. Of course, I've mentioned the time I thought I was getting Lord of the Rings. I thought I was getting a bargain, but it wasn't, but it turned out to be $5 for the fake instead of $10 on eBay. But, you know, the weirdest thing is you never know who's going to have something numismatic. One time I was walking down an aisle inside the beige building at the flea market I frequented when I was in Ohio, and this lady has a bunch of, you know, pottery and decorative items, and it's stuff that, frankly, you know, it's not most guys aren't interested in, but you always kind of just got to scan, and my interests aren't just numismatic, they're books, they're paper, ephemera, this and that. So you at least glance at that stuff to see if anything pops out because it's related and, and you're interested. Well, sure enough, on you know this U-shaped Welcome booth the coin World back Podcast. in the the one With your host, corner, Jeff Stark. corner, as I've said just from sort of at the day one of this show, table, this I is a big team hobby. There's a lot of room for folks. That looks like it might be a coin. It could and learning has been such a tremendous amount of this journey. Coin World Podcast. I don't know, crap, or it's, you know, it's a coaster or something. Well, this turned out to be one of the larger denominations and larger size pieces from a famous series of inflation money issued in Westphalia in Germany after World War One. And, uh, you know, these things are common enough. They're not, get a couple hundred bucks and you could put together a set in a few days. I mean, it's not out of reach and it's not hard to do, but you don't see them that often. I see them a couple times a year at coin shows where there's dealers in world coins. You expect it there. You don't expect to see that at a booth of otherwise random tchotchkes and bric-a-brac and all that. And so I, hey, you know, what do you want for this? Whatever. Well, you know, $5, I think it was. And I took it home and looked it up and, hey, you know what? In that condition and that, it's a $20 item. So you never know what you're going to find out there in flea markets for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, and that's the the thrill of the hunt is part of it. And just, just coming up with the idea that you're going to come through with that. I mean, you talked about the authenticity. And uh, the, the talk that I had on Saturday with the gentleman who was selling it, he is, uh, though he may not be a collector himself, he is absolutely adamant about making sure that the things that he buys, the things that he acquires, the things that he comes in contact with are absolutely genuine. I mean, he weighs all of his Morgans and, and you know, knows what to look for as far as w- what makes it authentic and what the, uh, the details the Chinese uh, counterfeiters may have missed and that type of thing. And, you know, one other thing is kind of just veering off the subject a little bit, but just the things that made impressions on me. And one of the things he had in his notes was a repeater note, which was also a star note. And that just got me so excited. I mean, it was 1014-1014. And it's just like, wow, just imagine if your birthday was October 14th. Just wouldn't that be so cool to have something like that? And then he told me about a note that he had, which was all fives at one time. And he was able to sell that for a good price. And it was just like, Hearing these stories and talking about these things and sharing information, you know, it's not a case of one-upsmanship or anything like that, but it's a case where we can we can learn and we can listen and we can appreciate just how deep this hobby actually is. If you're not familiar with a particular hobby, if you're on the outside and just now getting started with things, it's amazing that, uh, you know, you didn't even give it a second thought a couple of years ago, but now just understanding and realizing there's so much here. We talked about how you can do a, an entire world history on just on coins, and it's, it's been done countless times, I'm sure, but just the idea that we had these connections. So I basically, in the process, I've come up with a new avenue for something to get excited about, and I would think that with the fact that you're newly reacquainted with your uh, old stomping grounds here that maybe you've encountered in the few days that you've been there some opportunities uh, as well where you are right now, Jeff. Did you do anything special over the weekend? Well, it's funny you should ask, except it's not really funny. It might be sad. After after working all week in, in numismatics, Friday when I closed the lid of the laptop, I went to a coin shop. You know, I'm fortunate in that there are like three shops within 15 minutes of me. So I made my way to 
a shop on Friday afternoon and he said, hey, I'm, I'm looking for world stuff. What do you have? And guy says, and I've seen him before. I know him by name. And and he says, well, we just bought this collection. You want to look through it and see if there's anything you want and we'll talk. So I got some poundage in there, just some, you know, common world coins and pulled out some things I wanted and meet. And, you know, then always have to look. I'm not a big buyer of bullion, but you never know what sort of neat thing is going to jump out somebody's going to have in the silver bin and and actually in this collection was a uh, this collection was obviously a, a St. Louis native and this guy had one of the 1976 this was a bicentennial of the United States uh, medals but it's it's it marks the bicentennial but it has a design for St. Louis and on the obverse, the pretty side, if you will, the fun side, it has the statue of King Louis IX, which, you know, is, is the namesake of St. Louis, Louis, St. Louis, French king, and it has the arch, and it has Fort St. Carlos, or San Carlos, which is where, like, the only Revolutionary War engagement in St. Louis occurred. And so I've seen this before. This is a nice three-inch metal. I have the bronze version, the large bronze version, and the small bronze version. And I may have a silver version. I don't know. I, I think I don't. And that's why it was like, oh, hey, you know, I've been wanting one of these for a while. Or maybe the one I bought, sometimes you, you'll find these one side of the metal is really uh, messed up because of the felt thing that the metal was resting in or whatever. Some of that packaging has just done some atrocious things to metals. So I got it at uh, $2 over spot per ounce. It was a whopping 4.7 ounces. Why, you know, why couldn't they do an even four or five ounces? I don't know, but whatever. It's really cool. Inside, and this is, I think, what sold it for me. You know, I hemmed and hawed. Well, I think I have one. Do I need another one? And hey, it's it's only silver. It's not like, you know, if I needed to, you know, my car breaks down or something, I need to need the money, I can take it back to the dealer and sell it for a, a buck or two under spot per ounce. But inside is the sales record from Roosevelt Federal Savings and Loan, the bank, which is the bank, that bank was the distributor for this metal. And I would say it's two and a half inches, it says, I guess. I was thinking three inch. But anyway, two and a half inches. And it has the official St. Louis Bicentennial Medal issued by St. Louis Spirit of 76 Bicentennial Commission, City of St. Louis and St. Louis County. And you find out that they made 1,976 of these. It sold for $80 back then, which, you know, silver was, you know, five bucks at most, maybe an ounce. And so, you know, it was $25 of silver then, maybe, and it sold for three times that. And today, you know, this time I was able to get it at, what, 4.7 times 27. So, you know, 115 bucks or so, 110 bucks, whatever that works out to. It's just really cool. So it, it has the guy's name, you know, serial number 93, low serial number. Would be nice if it were like serial number 1976 or 1964 because that was the bicentennial of the founding of St. Louis but whatever it's super neat and you know I bought it uh, basically as silver but it has meaning to me because of where I'm from another thing that I got out of that silver pile though I've seen these before I'd heard of these and I never bought one I don't think so I went ahead and got it this is a one ounce metal I believe, for Operation Jonathan, which happened on July 4th, 1976. So July 4th, 1976, here in America, we were all distracted by some other little thing going on then. But on that day, Operation Jonathan was a successful counter-terrorist hostage rescue mission. This was uh, conducted by the Israeli Defense Forces at Entebbe Airport in Uganda. Now, it's also called Operation Entebbe or Operation Thunderbolt. And the medal shows a dove with olive branch in hand, uh, in beak. Uh, the dove is perched in a hand. You have another hand clasping a sword. You have a, an airplane on there, and it says, Peace, Entebbe, July 4th, 1976. Peace through strength. And then the other side, it gives the date and all that. But 
this was a famous event back then. You know, you think of in the 70s, that was the height of like, you know, airplane hostage stuff, D.B. Cooper and all that kind of stuff. Well, this was a, a big Airbus A300 with 248 passengers that was hijacked by liberation of Palestine, you know, popular front for liberation of Palestine. It was a big event back in the day. And, and I thought, hey, I can't pass that up. It's maybe I'll write about it, you know, because Israel did a medal for this as well. I don't think this is the medal that Israel put out. I think that one is different. So uh, I don't know. I just found that neat. There's all sorts of topics out there that you can find that have a numismatic connection. So that was Friday. Saturday, I went to a shop that I hadn't been to in, gosh, maybe 20 years. And this was a, a really curious shop. It's not like some of the other big boy shops where they're professional and fancy. And, you know, they have a couple shops in town here. There's several folks working at, at a time. This was a very relaxed shop, very much for the everyman, the common man, because the guy who owns it, he's in his 80s, and he just kind of does this for fun to get out of the house, a retirement project. When I got there, he was actually laying down on the bed that was against the wall in the shop. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of a, I mean, you wouldn't expect that at you know, most coin shops, but we all know that some coin folks are a little different, a little unique. I certainly wear that mantle proudly for the most part. And uh, the guy who owns the shop, he got up out of bed when I started explaining who I was. And, and another guy that was there that helps out, he was holding court the whole time. He wasn't behind the counter, though. He was in the corner up by the front and uh, next to a table. And he was just talking to whoever would come in and, you know, helping. Several people came in and had uh, were looking for very affordable coins, very, you know, somebody had it was questions of, you know, I'm looking for the W quarter or this or that. And I have these world coins. What do I have? Very much a relaxed atmosphere. Very much, you know, we talk and come to find out they very much welcome young collectors in there. They're glad to spend the time that it takes to educate a new collector, regardless of age, because this is just like you say, it's a retirement project. It's something to do to get out of the house, which, you know, I think there's a connection here. Uh, I mean, let's you know, it just, it comes to me that there's a famous St. Louisan in the hobby, I should say, that lived to the ripe old age of 106. And one of the things that Eric Newman attributed his longevity to was the fact that he was engaged in the hobby and it provided intellectual stimulation. It provided chance for camaraderie with friends who shared interest. It gave him a purpose and something to do, the research. You know, late in his life, it was after he was 100 years old, he was still doing research. And I believe that's when he published research relating to John J. Audubon, the famous uh, naturalist who had a like the earliest image of Audubon's, some bird that Audubon discovered that appeared on a banknote. So the hobby can be invigorating and really offer something to you later in your life. It, it certainly does that earlier in your life. But it was funny to see that, you know, here's a guy who's perfectly content to just hang out at the coin shop. And there's a couple of them. And whoever walks in, they're glad to help. And if they make a sale, they make a sale. And if they don't, well, they had their fun for the day and, and move on. So that was cool. And Dave, the guy who was sort of holding court there, he told me about an organization that I'd heard of, but never really saw that. It's like they don't have a website. Can't say go here to get more information, unfortunately, but it's the World Coin Club of Missouri. And I go, hey, I'm World Coin Guy. I'm, you know, this is my beat. This is what I enjoy. They were having their meeting on Sunday. So I went to the meeting and it was nice to be back in a numismatic setting. I was reluctant, you know, go inside and you COVID, everybody's got to wear a mask. 
you know, there's 15, ended up being like 15 people there, which is a, a good, strong showing. They had, had door prizes, as you would expect. They had an auction at the end, and anybody can bring something in and bring it there, and they'll write out quick description and set it down. And at the end, after all the presentation, then you have five, 10 minutes to look at the auction items, and then they do the auction. And that's fun. It was nice to, you know, having left my Shelby County Coin Club back in Ohio and and the Missouri Numismatic Society, the St. Louis Numismatic Association, those organizations are not yet meeting in person. It was nice to meet in person. Like I say, I was a little reluctant, but then I saw Ucoins and uh, let go of it there. And um, probably the neatest thing I got there, and I've, I've seen these before, and every time I find them and they're in nice enough shape, I'll pick one up. The uh, Leprosarium coinage from Colombia. There's a handful of places that issued money for leper colonies. So we don't use that terminology today. It's Hansen's disease. But Columbia is probably the issuer which is most readily available. And Lazaretto on the obverse of the coin with a sort of stylized cross with flared ends. And this is the two centavos, which is okay. You know, it's it's not an odd number, you know, like a three centavo or something, but it's neat enough. It was four bucks, and I've seen them go for up to six. So this was priced right, not bad. I mean, you you could pay five or six. but And the coin's in a two-by-two, two, so I'm not touching the surface. But 1921, that was 100 years ago. 100 years ago, some people that were outcast, they were exiled from regular society and sent to live in these closed systems, closed societies, even in those circumstances, they needed money. And what did they do to make sure that the people stayed where they were? Well, they issued money that was only good where they were. So you could hoard this, you could steal this, you could, you know, if you were a member of the colony, you could amass however much wealth you wanted in this money, but it would do you no good once you got outside. So it made escaping that much more difficult. The whole story of leprosy and coinage is it's sad and painful and it's troubling, but it's it's something you can't get away from. There's a book, uh, I can see it on my bookshelf, The Numismatic Aspects of Leprosy, and I've written about it before. And it's um, you're not going to get leprosy from buying a coin if, if I took this out of a two by two, you know, but I bet if I took this to a, you know, Larry, you've talked about going to a, a, a cocktail party when those are things again. If I say here, you want to touch something that a leper touched, <laughs> I'd probably get told no way. But then you, <laughs> you, you know, you explain, hey, you know, this is, it's been a hundred years since this, you're not going to transmit you know, we are worried about transmitting communicable diseases, viruses, even today, right? So when I have a chance to get something like this, it's too too good to pass up. You know, four bucks, you can't go wrong, even if it had been, like I say, five or six. So yeah, I mean, it was after a week of work of doing this, I spent most of my weekend <laughs> playing around with it. But doesn't that speak to all the joy that one can have? And the, I mean, we had a wonderful presentation at the meeting. I met some folks. I, I bought some stuff. I'll, I'll be back at meetings and, uh, you know, stop at these shops again and, and see uh, what new stuff they have. Like you say, it's, it is the thrill of a hunt. It's finding something you haven't seen, finding something you don't have, meeting people and talking about your shared interest. There's so many good things about it. And if you can do that with your free time, then you're in the right place because we love doing it, obviously. Huh. And then, you know, just part of the thought about that, too, and and the gentlemen that are running the shop, and it's just like they're doing it just because it's something for them to do. It's a hobby or something. But just like some of the purchases that I made on the weekend weren't for me. These are not the things I necessarily was interested in, but I knew about people that I've made contact with in the last couple of months that are interested in this. And here was a chance to spend a few dollars. It doesn't come down to how much. I'm not trying to impress anybody by how much money I spent thinking of them. That's not the point. The point is, it's just like, hey, this is something really neat. I know you said you'd like to have one of these. Here you go. I'd like to give this to you because, you know, someday they may reciprocate. As a matter of fact, there's one situation where the gentleman did buy me something for Christmas. And uh, it's like, OK, this was totally neat. And now here's something I know you want. It's back and forth on this. And then next thing you know, 
when times get better, we're going to be going to these places together and talking about it, making new friends and expanding our horizons. As you get closer to your relatives, some of the things that I got in my bag of coins is uh, something my father-in-law is extremely interested in. And like I said earlier to begin, you know, the wife was interested in it. Would I necessarily want a, a bunch of coins with fish on them? Maybe not. Maybe so. You know, camels, raccoons, you know, maybe, but kangaroos, definitely. <laughs> but, you know, just the idea that, you know, she found this stuff. She knew I was interested in, in things like that. But in this case, when I asked her when she bought one item, I said, is that for you? Is that for your dad? And it was a long pause. And she says, do I have to give it to him? <laughs> no. The second one you will, but uh, you can keep the first one here. And then the second one would be just a perfect surprise. So uh, he will be listening to this. So, you know, sorry. Sorry, Mike. But uh, that's the way it goes. But no, it's just the idea that this is an active hobby. And your, your point about Eric Newman just makes so much sense to me because how much we're blessed with the internet, which is, you know, if it's on the internet, it's true. Well, not necessarily. You can always talk to people that are more connected to it and, and more knowledgeable than you and really benefit from that. Yeah, sure. The internet serves as a basis, but there's nothing that compares to the one-in-one experience of somebody who has, who saw, and there's nothing compares to holding the actual object, to having it, you know, many of these items that I bought on Saturday were in locked cases. I understand that, you know, you don't set up on the city street and expect, you know, somebody to come by without, you know, five finger discounting it. And th these are very precious items, you know, just like the guy who said that he doesn't buy anything fake because he, you know, if he does, then he has to dispose of it. He's not going to pass it off to somebody else. He's not going to pass it off to an unsuspecting customer. It's not going to be somebody else's problem. So you just really have to, uh, you have to admire something like that's the kind of people you expect to have in this hobby and getting to know them and getting to meet them and getting to be around them has just bountifully expanded my less than a year of being associated with this hobby. So I am so excited about the prospect of quote unquote normal times. I paused momentarily to think that had things been different, I wouldn't have been on the street. I would have been at the Orange County Convention Center. And it's just like, okay, and that opportunity was lost, you know, for circumstances beyond the controls of the organizers and other circumstances in the next six weeks are going to be that way too. But looking at the schedule and saying, is the Whitman Expo going to happen in March? Possibly, maybe, we'll see, and be something to see. Go on and go back and forth on that. But, you know, you can't worry about the future, but when there's opportunities for the present, you got to take advantage of them. Absolutely. It was a year ago, as, as we sit and talk on this day, a year ago this weekend when I was, you know, this weekend that we were doing the things we were doing to pursue the hobby that I went to my first ever fun show. Cause usually, you know, I always go to the New York international and then the world money fair in Berlin a couple, three weeks later, I was really hoping to get back to fun, but I didn't, I didn't know that we were going to do that. But Hey, in absence of that, I, you know, we were still able to stay connected to it. You know, I have at the shop on Saturday, I got a bunch of books and at the meeting on Sunday, I bought a couple books. I ended up with four books on numismatics of Ireland. So you, Larry, are going to get two of them, one for yourself and one for your father-in-law. That's not very big. So, I mean, it's, you know, don't get too crazy, but you know, I mean, it's, I think I, I paid $2 for the two books on Sunday and the others were part of a big lot of other stuff. And I'm looking at what I have on my shelves going, okay, what do I want to keep? And then I have a couple extra and it's a fascinating area. And I know, you know, your father-in-law is into the British stuff. So maybe he'll like the Irish stuff and you can certainly flip through there. And, you know, there's the Irish series has rabbits and horses and there's a bird. You know, I mean, so there's some neat animal coins in there. So well, I, I know that for a fact, because when I bought my coins of the year, there was a choice between a rabbit and a horse. But I wanted to get one representing that year and I couldn't make the decision. So I have them both. One's a three and one's a six. Perfect, so. perfect, because, you know, the horse is bigger than the rabbit coin, right? The, the horse is on the sixpence, the rabbit's the threepence, and there's a dog as well. You didn't get the dog, though. She, it's not a greyhound, though. Sorry. I've got the greyhounds covered. i got to be a little more, uh, not a snob on the brand, so that's okay. what i got to get away from that. But um, right. the creatures that are, that are worthy, and, you know, it just calls to mind 
you know, how unique these items actually are. And, uh, you know, conversationally speaking and, and the books, when you mentioned the books, I, I can't begin to say how much I benefit from the books. The public library we have, unfortunately, doesn't have a whole lot. So my trip every other Monday, I don't usually end up taking a book out when I can go get it from my own personal library and uh, enjoy it just as much. So they're losing a little business, but here again, with limited uh, participation, limited hours, they're not missing my business right now. Yeah. But uh, I'm enjoying uh, the ones I really like are the ones that have the the bigger pictures. Like we were just talking last time about the coins book by by Porteus and the pictures that were in there. And, you know, a lot of those coins, a lot of those ancient coins are going to be very difficult to get a hold of, but I'll know them when I see them. And that's what makes it even more exciting. Absolutely. So, you know, let's pivot a little bit. We've been talking a lot about what's going on these days in the hobby. I want to go back, though, in time a little bit and talk about what was happening this week in numismatic history. So we are going to go to January 20th, 2000. Hop in the time machine 21 years ago, just three weeks, not even three weeks after Y2K. What was happening uh, on that day? What happened on January 20th, 2000? That was when the U.S. Mint announced that it was cooperating with Walmart to circulate Sacagawea dollar at some 2,900 Walmart and Sam's Club stores. So uh, I can remember that. I was a cashier at Walgreens at the time and working on, you know, working in the photo lab. And that gave me good access to, it was right by the office. So Anytime somebody came in with a, a drawer after their shift, I would look through it and buy anything I found that was worthwhile. It's really interesting or stupid. I don't know. Not long after I moved back to St. Louis a couple of weeks ago, I think I ate the wrong thing one night because I had dreams. And I will say dreams, not nightmares. But I had dreams that... I was working at Walgreens again, and I was finding all sorts of weird and rare stuff in the drawers. <laughs> and I was, leprosy uh, coins, by chance? Any leprosy coins? No, but I mean, it was it was just it was lots of colorful banknotes and other things, and people were trying to spend like Monopoly money and this. And that. It was just a weird mishmash of a whole bunch of facets of my life and my story, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> You know, I, I would work at Walgreens again if I have to. I certainly miss the people aspect, you know, being around, you know, when you work in an office and you're typing at a desk all day and whatever, or, or now working at home, you know, you don't have that socialization aspect. And certainly there, I got more exercise, but uh, now the only thing I, the only running I do is my mouth. But it was just like, really? <laughs> but, but I was at Walgreens when those came out. And I remember looking for all those in the state quarters and change and talking to people about them and, you know, be on the lookout. And gosh, that was uh, that was just fun. It was, uh, you know, I wasn't a dealer and having to cover my rent and this and that. My friend Don jokes because he sells coins and he says, what's the difference between a coin dealer and two extra large pizzas? And he's and the punchline, do you, do you have any idea? None whatsoever, but you're making me hungry. Yeah, well, he, he says the pizzas can feed a, a family of four. <laughs> <laughs> hey, wow, let me take this uh, opportunity to say here, what does it mean when you dream about money? It depends precisely on what you did with that money. What happened to the money in your dreams? Did you count it, lose it, find it, hold it, lend it, withdraw it, or steal it? So each one of those is you know has a different interpretation it doesn't say anything about what happens when you dream about funky money. So <laughs> go ahead with that. But now you've got me onto the tangent that I'm going to start interpreting my dreams, not to mention I'm going to pay attention to them. Because like I said, Saturday night, all I dreamed about was the display that was on the street right there. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. You, you, the Sacagawea, and again, just uh, understanding the purpose of the coin and what it was out there, you know, the fact that, People today think that they're very, very valuable. I saw a thread recently on one of the social medias where somebody sent a uh, to a dealer and said, what's this worth? And the dealer responded, a dollar. And the dealer was just absolutely chastised about that, when in reality, that's the truth. I mean, it's just not something 
other than maybe if you're collecting them or getting involved with them in some way that makes them more than just something you would spend. Some of the uh, misperceptions people have about the value of, of coins that are different. We can blame Etsy and YouTube for a lot of that. It sounds like that was the a post in the Why Coin Dealers Drink thread. <laughs> but but uh, anyway, yeah. they can't afford two pizzas. That's why. Yeah. So. No. Well, and and very obviously, you know, the the thing that you know, Don, what Don does is again uh, a retirement type thing. So so what he does, he's joking, obviously, that uh, you know it's it's hard to make a living with coins, but you know, there's a lot of great folks. Who, who do make a living and um, offer the service uh, still, you know, if you have a local coin shop and it's open these days, there's just nothing better than going to see that in person. And, you know, they have overhead, they have um, staff, there's, you know, whatever the case may be, you don't have to worry. And in so many cases, you know, you don't, it's not going to get lost in the mail or take two weeks. And I'm bullish on local coin shops as, as important as all the online stuff is. They are a, an important part of the numismatic ecosystem. So anyway, now that we've done the uh, This Week in History, let's look back at This Week in Coin World History. We're looking at January 17th, 1973. 1973, explain why you chose that year. Well, we recently went through, I, I'm a big fan of the of the game show Jeopardy. I've tried out for it a few times. I can proudly say I made the cut a few times. I can also say I didn't make the TV show a few times. I mean, with the face for radio and uninteresting hobbies before I became involved in numismatics, I could understand why the producers didn't choose me. Not to mention, I'm not sure if I could afford it to fly back out to California. With the passing in November of Alex Trebek, and there's been a lot of talk about who's going to replace him and can he be replaced and uh, you know, knowing some people who've been on the, the show and seeing some of the activities on the internet. Alex Trebek took over the hosting of the show and Merv Griffin brought it back and the year was 1973. And so if you do the math, that's 40 plus years of being employed as a game show host. He did a few shows before Jeopardy, but the idea that we go back to 1973 and it's done more or less as a tribute in memory of Alex Trebek. Awesome. 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 So we'll get to the trivia aspect in a minute, but let's look at the issue because you chose that year. I think it's, it's interesting. You know, one of the stories on the, the cover on the front page is that Alabama and Oklahoma will celebrate the U S bicentennial with medals, which that dovetails nicely with my St. Louis Bicentennial Medal from 1976. It's actually a, a chance for a shameless plug, if you will. The Coin World Almanac, first edition, we're on to the eighth edition now, published in 2010. But the first edition was released in 1976 to coincide with the American Bicentennial. And that 1976 edition, and then the second edition, which I believe came the next year, maybe 78, they could have done it annually for the first two or three editions, and then they realized that they needed to cut it back to every handful of years, whatever the case may be. But a couple of those early editions have page after page after page of information about the various entities that issued medals for the American Bicentennial, which is, I would say, short of – President John F. Kennedy, and, and maybe even more so than the American Bicentennial, was celebrated by more items uh, in medallic art than any other topic. Because you think about the heyday of the modern American medallic art, the 60s and 70s, Franklin Mint, there was other private men's heraldic arts in Ohio, there's there was no bigger event than this. So, you know, certainly in looking back, that's not the biggest story. I don't think that's most critical, say, of for the hobby history, because also then you have a story about the General Services Administration finishing the CC dollar white glove scanning. They were reviewing the uh, Morgan dollars for eventual sale, the famous GSA sales. And interestingly, then Coin World editor Margot Russell was part of that task force that was involved in looking at them. So it's amazing how um, that was on the front page. So it was important. But, you know, that's one snapshot 
one frame in the, if, if, if there's a film about the GSA sale, not that there would ever be, but that's one frame or one scene in the movie, if that, but that little part, hey, the newspapers are the first draft of history, and that was uh, that was certainly a big deal then, and it's, I think, in hindsight, an even bigger deal. What did you see on the letters page that jumped out at you, boss? Well, actually, the letters were interesting, and there were a lot more of them back in uh, 73. There were like seven or eight letters I could choose from. But the interesting letters that I found had something to do with a previous story that was written in Coin World December 6th of 1972, where it dealt with the uh, defining a collector was what it was called. And a Canadian psychiatrist by the name of Joan Lister had looked at uh, the phenomenon behind being a numismatist. And it ired a lot of folks. And just an excerpt from a couple of the letters. First of all, and that starts out in the middle of the letter because the gentleman wrote about another subject. It says, I would like to comment on your December 6th article giving a psychiatrist view on defining a collector. I, like all fellow collectors that I discussed the article with, found it appalling and destructive to our great hobby. Now, understand that it's not Coin World or December 6th article that I'm knocking, but rather this psychiatrist. So now it turns personal. Joan Lister's look at the collector was all but penetrating. In fact, I believe rather imperviable. Number one, it's impossible to generalize about collectors. To do so denies them their individuality, a thing which is to be cherished and invalidates any effort to be yourself, as opposed to some psychiatrically designed stereotype of what you are and should be like. Number two, there are no proven facts or statistics that this person puts up to back her views. So it says, let me close by saying that an attempt to denigrate one of the world's greatest sources of enjoyment, pleasure, and aesthetics is liking it to feces, toilet training, and a mania is very illogical and false manner at that. Nothing more than the usual psychiatric push to destroy life and any other sources of pleasure that we have left as evidenced above. Therefore, fellow collectors, pay no mind to the nonsense poured upon us by this person. And may our collecting fraternity, which is a closely knit group of kindred souls, live on despite the attempts of the bitter few who may try to stop us. They are the true fraternity of wildly desperate souls, quietly squirreling away almost every source of pleasure known to man. And that's from Nick Balamucci of Bronx, New York. Another letter follows up that on the same subject says, too bad your paper doesn't have a section reserved for humor. That would be the proper place for Miss Joan Lister's appraisal of collecting as expressed in her article. I don't know how much research went into her conclusions or whether she even bothered to look seriously into the hobby. The truth is that collectors are no different from any other people. Doctors talk about medicine. Lawyers talk about legal questions. Athletes talk about their particular sports. Artists talk about art, etc. So what is there so strange and unusual about collectors talking about their hobby? President Franklin Roosevelt was a collector, and so was Cardinal Spellman of New York. Can anyone accuse either of these great men of talking about nothing but collecting? I don't know what Miss Lister's standing is in the psychiatric field, but as an analyst of collecting as a hobby, she doesn't appear too bright. And that's from E. Torres of Baltimore, Maryland. Now, let me go on and say that if you are involved in the psychiatric profession, this is not an indictment of all of you. And we don't want to get caught up in the stereotyping that this article in December 6th had as well. But it's pretty obvious that these individuals were so moved by what they read, which was, I believe, on the uh, page 67 of the issue in December, uh, December 6th, all the way back at the end, that, uh, you know, coin world readers are going to read this thing from cover to cover. And uh, little did this person know that she was going to uh, call to mind these accusations. So it's just like there's passion. I mean, this is nothing more than a demonstration of passion. And it is an accurate demonstration of passion. The fact that you can't lump all collectors into one definition, the fact that you can't lump anybody into a stereotype like that and be fair. And I mean, I think about society today and how you have the, uh, on the political front, it's you, us and them, 
type thing and all the conflicts that occur and no matter what what subject you're talking about whether you like a particular baseball team that's not the St. Louis Cardinals or whether you like you know something else you know it's just how we look upon people and it's why did this person have to judge collectors why did this person feel it was within her realm to cast these individuals in this way and certainly to see the reaction to it I mean if something like that happened again today I guarantee the same reaction would happen even though we're 48 years later. Yeah, my mind is churning. I don't think we have time to get into this topic this week, but we'll pick that up uh, in the coming weeks. I have something in mind. I don't want to tip our hand, but maybe we can explore that soon. We need to, at the moment, though, to stay on task, I need to get an answer from you. Because last week I asked a question about something that was in the news Rather, I brought something that was in the news and and made the trivia question out of it. We all saw scenes of the U.S. Capitol as events unfolded on January 6th. That made me wonder, how many times has the U.S. Capitol appeared on and or been celebrated by American coinage? So the question is simple. I need a number. Then you can provide for bonus points detailed listing of what coins to which I refer. Do you have any idea, Larry? I'm going to answer this question honestly. No, I don't because I spent some time thinking about it and then I went to an antique show and I spent two and a half hours there and then I dreamed about it and then I didn't even really put a lot of attention back onto that. I, I apologize for casting you into the point where you got second fiddle status on that one. So the week before, I happened to throw a number out there, a pretty educated guess. This time, it's not going to be an educated guess. I'm just going to take a number. I'm going to take a shot at it. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with, since I'm odd, odd numbers work for me, five. Well, you are odd. I mean, the the number is odd that you're looking for, but you were uh, you were just off a little bit. It is, it is actually seven again. Seven. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to go with seven. Darn it. So, uh, but you thought, oh, we're not going to have the same answer two weeks in a row. But hey, mm-hmm. that's that's where we trick you. So, how do we arrive at that number? Well, in 1989, you have the bicentennial of Congress. There's the half dollar, the silver dollar, and the gold five dollar. The next coin was a silver dollar from 1994. And then in 2001, you have the Capitol Visitors Center which I know is, you know, you say, well, that's the visitor center. But, hey, that's on the Capitol grounds. That still counts. That was a half dollar, silver dollar, and gold, I think gold five dollar as well. And so that is seven coins total, two uh, of the three each. The um, 1994 is the Capitol Bicentennial. So 1989 was the Congress Bicentennial. 1994 was the Capitol Bicentennial. And of course, then again, you had the Visitor Center seven years after that, 2001. Sales of these coins, the surcharges went to raise money to build the Visitor Center. And so that's seven total. If I somehow missed something, let me know. And of course, if you have questions, concerns, comments, complaints, snide remarks, compliments, you can reach us, of course. But yeah, that was the answer. And so now I have to ask a question for the listeners that will answer next time. Before you do that, let me say this. I hang my head because Alex Trebek would have been so disappointed in me for not even, I mean, he would have taken my $200 away from me there. But I hang my head on that one. My record is not that strong and I need to redeem myself. So let me just say that I am now dedicated to your next question. So bring it. Okay, so I picked up a bunch of books at a shop over the weekend, and one of the books I got is The Splendid Shilling. I'm going to tell you about that in a few minutes or very soon. Based on this book, I want to ask you about the shilling coin. We haven't discussed it yet, and I won't give away the answer in talking about the book, but the shilling was first minted in the reign of Henry VII. So that was uh, around 1500s, uh, 1548, but it had a different name then. It became 
known as the Schilling sometime in the mid-16th century. I want to know what the original name of the Schilling, the English Schilling, was when it debuted in the early 1500s. And it was silver from 1503 was the first coin that would have become the Schilling, and the Schilling name was adopted, I believe, in 1548. So I'm giving away that, but okay. there's a, a different name. Just like, you know, you can almost say we have the half dime and the nickel. Well, they're kind of the same coin, right? They're worth the same. Well, this is, I think, a parallel maybe. There was a different name for the shilling before it was called the shilling. So what was that name? This is, this is expert level now. This is not easy. But, you know, we'll have the answer in a week. And in the meantime, I got to say, this book, you can find it. I, I checked. I looked for comps. You can find it for $20 or less, which I think it's certainly worth that because it's one thing I've thought about before. Because, you know, there are a lot of countries that have shillings. Austria had the shilling before the euro. You know, Germany has had shillings in some of the German states. You have shillings that were in use all over in the British Commonwealth lands like Australia and all the um, colonial African places that Britain controlled. But just the shilling itself in Great Britain, my gosh, there's 500 plus years of history. Even in the U.S., we had the Maryland shilling. We've had the so-called Good Samaritan shilling, which is a fake. It's a famous fake. Actually, funny enough that Eric Newman was involved in a sort of, I believe he was involved in bringing that to to the fore as far as, you know, promoting the story that it was a fake, you know, telling people that it was a fake and the research that went into that. So there's shillings all over, even on North America. The first shilling outside of England, though, and Scotland and all that was an item of hog money for Bermuda, the one shilling denomination. And these are incredibly crudely struck pieces but they're called that because the hog on the, the obverse of the coin, and there's a couple different denominations, I think uh, sixpence, threepence maybe. There's, But the shilling is worth 12 pence. That could have been the trivia question. If I wanted to go easy on you, I could have done that. But anyway, so this book is really cool. I obviously, I just got it, so I haven't read it. I'm looking through it, and I saw that and was like, oh, I don't have that. I need to get that. And there were a handful of others, and I keep looking to grow my library, and pretty soon I'm going to have to get some more bookshelves. There you go. I mean, that's it. Expand upon it. Well, okay, you know, this is great that I've got a little time because I think I read that already. I'm just going to have to try to noodle on that and see where it comes from. but. And it's nice that I have a week to think about this, but I'll tell you, we mentioned earlier about Alex Trebek and Jeopardy. And so earlier today, I thought, well, you know, I'm going to check out and see what uh, what kind of questions they've had on the show. And so now I have some of those questions and I'm going to turn the tables on you, but you don't get a week and you have to answer in the form of a question. I've got five in the category of money, coins, that type of thing. I've got five questions. We're not going to put a point value on them. But we're going to let you play a little bit of our Coin World Podcast Jeopardy tribute game. I believe the uh, the value is pointless. I mean, priceless. Yeah, that would be it. Okay, so let's get you started. Now, because your experience is uh, vast, but because your specialty now seems to be on the world coins, these are all world coin related questions. All right, here we go. Okay. Our first one. These are not questions. These are answers you have to answer in the form of a question. The value of this Greek coin was originally equivalent to that of a handful of arrows. What is the tetradram? It says drachma. Drachma. So. Yeah, okay, the dram. Tet yeah. Yeah, okay. so I knew that was okay. some variation so. of it. I mean, I, judges will accept the answer. Okay. okay. All right. In, in 1959, the Vatican's 20 lira coin featured this pontiff. I'm sorry, what year was that again? 1959. Oh, Pius the who is Pius the 11th? Who is Pope John the 23rd? Okay, that that not feel so bad. I yeah. think they get easier. So that, that, that's yeah, that's that's anyway. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, you mean this, you're gonna if you're gonna miss them, miss the low value ones. Now we're getting in the high value stuff. All right, the New Zealand 20 cent coin features this bird. What is the kiwi? That is correct. Our next one, it's slang for a $1 coin in Canada, a reference to the bird on this coin. What is the loony? 
There you go. Okay, final question in the category, and we'll wrap it up here. Fitting that it's a shilling-related question. A 1,000 shilling coin shows her in her royal finery on one side, and on the other side, reverse obverse, in disgrace at her 1793 trial in Paris. Who is... Okay, you're going to do the do 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 um, Yeah, yeah. I, I will give you a hint. It's not Annette Sanders. No, no, no. Okay? It, but it's it's the um, oh the disgraced French. Uh, Mar- it's who is Marie Antoinette? Very good, good finish. You got the last three correct there. So congratulations. Maybe some other time we'll get into Final Jeopardy. But right now, clock on the wall says that's all. Hey, uh, thanks for listening today. We had fun. Hope you did too. Let us know how you're sharing the hobby and being engaged in the hobby in these uh, just weird times. And uh, we're going to keep you know looking for opportunities to do all this every week. We thank um, Amos Advantage for the sponsorship, and maybe we'll have some others soon, uh, some new new faces to talk about. But as always, until next week, in the spirit of Alex Trebek, what is happy collecting? Thank you for listening to the Coin World Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week. Would you like to sponsor the Coin World Podcast? If so, contact your Coin World sales representative or email Brian Hertel at B H E R T E L at AmosMedia.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Affordable rates and multi episode discounts are available. Contact us today to sponsor the Coin World Podcast.